Hi, this is Doug Bradley, Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies, and you're listening to the Midwest Monsters Podcast. And you'd better keep listening, or I will tear your souls apart. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. That's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable. But, I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now is that on so many pages <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then I mean it, it's it's almost inevitable that uh, you know half the time we're going to go you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry about <laughs> that. Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast. And now here are your hosts. episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I am Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by my solid dudes, Mad Chan, Professor Wagstaff, and we're here to just bring you another episode talking about uh, horror movies, as we like to do. That's that's what you like to listen to, that's what we like to do, and here we come again with uh, a different franchise. It's It's been a little while since we've done a franchise. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on when these get uploaded. So take your pick. But tonight we're going to be talking about the Omen. The franchise. Omen? Ooh. The Omen. The Omen. Damien. Damien. That's right. Mad yeah. Chan. Kind of your own picking uh, a little bit. It's and all for you, Mad Chan. It was all for you, <laughs> Mad Chan. Yeah. So, um, tell, us, with a rope. tell us a little bit about uh, why the Omen. Why did you pick the Omen? Why did I want to see the Omen? Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen the Omen in years, and I had never seen the remake. Uh-huh. Um, I knew that it spawned sequels that I hadn't seen either, mm-hmm. and I would mainly, for the most part, forgotten a lot about The Omen, and I wanted to see what what it was about, because I heard people over-talking at a convention that we were at not too long ago about how Damien, was, Damien and The Omen, and that was such an in-depth, rich character, and that's what made me realize I'd never seen any of the sequels, because they talked about all three of the sequels, and I hadn't seen them, so. Yeah, I, I just that's what brought me back to the Omen, Professor. Opening thoughts about the Omen. Uh, period. Before watching this, uh, classic. First <clears throat> one. Okay. Had not seen the sequels. Okay. Had just seen the first one and the remake. Okay. Um, initially, my thoughts. Um, I remember watching the first one a while back. Not impressed. Just to be honest. And uh, the remake again. Not impressed. Um, but this time around. Watching the trilogy, because I have to admit I didn't watch the fourth, so I didn't get in on that quadrilogy action. Uh, liked it as a whole. Let's put it that way. Okay. That's, that's decent. You can say that. Mad Chan overview after watching it for this time around. Liked the trilogy as a whole. The trilogy. Did not see the fourth one. Okay. Okay. Do you know why? Came too late. It just, it just I had to go by a different ways of ordering these 
movies to watch for this podcast. And they came in a big box set. I was real happy about it. Yeah. But I got through the first three, and I even watched the remake because I wanted to be able to speak on them. And after watching the third one, I was just, I was, honestly, bro, I was just too tired, man. Mm -hmm. And then I just didn't get back around to it because I had so much going on. So I, I hate to make that, and that, folks, I don't normally do that for a show, but that's yeah. my admission. I just, I couldn't get around to that fourth movie. Yeah. Matt Jan, or uh, Professor, <laughs> I'm looking right at you. You look like Matt Jan a little bit sometimes. Uh, professor, yeah. <laughs> clearly. On your, on your most handsome Is days. On your best looking days, um, you look like Matt Jan. What, initial afterthoughts after viewing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the much more higher quality than I expected. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Even yeah. whether you I'd like, like the films or not, the money and production value that went into the first three surprised me. People cared. I, yeah, the first People one cared I when knew, they made these movies. But yeah, the yeah. second and third, I was legitimately surprised with. I'm assuming this was meant to be a trilogy. No. Really? No. And you can tell by the timeline that happens in the third movie. I spoke to the professor about this earlier. Um, they had no clue this was going to be a trilogy. In fact, David uh, Seltzer... The guy who wrote the initial movie will tell you it was never meant to be a trilogy. Didn't even even though he came back and wrote further, wrote later versions. Like he, well, he offered uh, after that if he could write basically the genesis for it all. Right. But he wouldn't do future screenplays. Right. But they wouldn't. He, I mean, he washed his hands after that. But the first one was beyond description in terms of success. Right. Like right, just right. massively, and basically based on results as they went. And by the third one, they were like, yeah, we're done. So and I, I think movie, it was a financial thing. What throughout. studio put out the Omen? Is it 20th Century Fox? Right. Up until in 1978 or 1976, this was the most successful franchise that 20th Century Fox had. Because yeah, they were still relatively massive. Yeah, yeah. New like, to the, the show, Omen new to the was game, hit yeah. for them, man. Yeah. Do you, you want to dive into the movie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, fill us in. Uh, tell us about uh, the Omen. Where's okay, it? so we're looking at 1976. Uh, director is Richard Donner, man. Like Dick Donner. Yeah. My, Superman my, too. Superman. <laughs> and no. then the two Richard Donner, Richard Donner cut. He was fired off of Superman too. But then, like we said, David Seltzer. We got a starring. We have honestly, we have a great cast, man. You've got Robert Thorne is played by Gregory Peck. Yeah. And uh, okay, and I, I know you know him from lots of different things, guys, but. Let's just say out of the way, Peck. to kill a let's just say to kill a mockingbird. Oh yeah, like 1962 was a huge year for him. He had Kate Fear. He's yeah. a whale of an actor. Yeah, and then uh, Lee Remick, she was nominated. All time babe. Yeah, right, right. She was nominated for kill an Oscar for uh, she nominated for an Oscar in 1963 for uh, Days of Wine Days of Wine and Roses. Um, we, Damien was played by Harvey Stevens, a young kid by the name of Harvey Stevens. Jennings was played by no less than David Warner, and then Mrs. Uh, Baylock, Billy Whitelaw, and she was by all by any stretch of the imagination creepy in this movie, man. Like Mrs. Baylock frightened me in this movie. Oh yeah, I thought that was amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, you want to you want to start us off here, Professor? With what? <laughs> initial like get into episode um, one. I love it. I have loved it since I was a little kid, and rewatching it for this didn't diminish that any. I think that. I, I like the storytelling in it. I like the build-up right. and that when they do deliver, they make it count. Um, and I think that kind of is one of the signatures of the franchise is it isn't nonstop in your face, but when right. they do something, they make it memorable. Exactly, exactly. I, I won't give anything that. away before we get into those. But, right. yeah, it still holds up well. 
I sat and watched the trilogy, the the first three movies, with uh, my significant other, and she was like, "This is slow. This is slow." Well, by today's standards, yeah, it is slow, very slow. But when you watch, and we'll get into that later, but when you watch like the remake, there's a reason it's slow. Like you said, there's storytelling going on. You're getting the richness of different characters, right? And it that takes... really shows up in this first movie. Well, and I think that that slow storytelling for me. It took watching the first three movies to appreciate. It really did, because you have to watch the second and third. It, it, they only enrich the first movie. Yeah. And like, I I really have to go yeah. there. Like, uh, let's start uh, the nanny jumping out the window. That was an awesome shot. Oh, not man. only the not only the symbolism, you know, Damien, I love you. I'm doing this all for you. This is all for you. But the fact, like, the way Donner shot that. Like, she comes off the ledge. You can see arms moving and flailing. You see the body stop. It swings back, busts in the window. You see it hanging there. There's no lack of action in that one shot. And that was amazing because there was no there was no cut. There wasn't zoom into a close-up of a face being horrified. All that came in the aftermath. Yep. And that's I thought that was amazing. Like, when the children were watching and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to I want to back it up just a little bit and how we got to this point. We had oh okay yeah let's talk about the know, opening. We had um, you know this ambassador. Yes, and, yes, and yes. They, his wife was very much anticipating having this child. Yeah, the child dies at birth. Yes, and the mother doesn't know. And this priest approaches him and says, "Listen, the child died, and he's just tore up because this was all they, they were hanging their hat on. This this was right. a big deal for them, aging couple, you know." Right. And then um, he says, also, her womb is pretty much destroyed. There's probably not a chance of having another child, which is just devastating for a family. Right. And then he says, but let me tell you, God has blessed you with a son tonight. Setting up this notion of what I like to call the switcheroo. <laughs> the so is that the official term? That, that is the official term. So we term. look it up on paper. The switcheroo is the switcheroo is giving that you was another child. When I worked in the hospital, that was an official term. The right on, like like we did that all the time. Okay, we did that all the time. You're like, hey, look, let's give this Cuban, let's give this little, let's give this Cuban family this little white baby and see what happens. The switcheroo, the switcheroo. exactly. Um, so they pull the switcheroo uh, in order, yeah, just to, to to make this happen. And this is where we get Damien. And there's a priest involved, and later we learn why the priest was involved. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so we get to that point. They're having this party for little baby Damien. So what, where was Damien born? What was the date of Damien's birth? June 6th. At? Was it 6? 6? 6 a.m. That's right. That's right. Because yeah. he asked him later, was your son born at 6? 6, 6 yeah, yeah, right. And it's, it's funny, because that was, one thing that, they, <laughs> that was one thing that they did well with the remake, was that it came out on June 6, 2006. Mm -hmm. Yes. 666. Um, so yeah, so this is the six 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 theme where it starts, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, we could talk about the what what six 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 means and all of that at another time. But um, so yeah, this is where we get this is where we get Damien, and right. uh, and so later we've got this party as you were talking about a uh, little birthday party for Damien, sixth right. birthday party, sixth birthday party, yeah, amusements, all of that, right? And uh, that's where this 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 gal hangs herself, right on. Now. My feeling on the matter is, if a priest shows up to warn you of anything, <laughs> just listen. Just give I've seen time. enough movies at this point that if a priest shows up at my house and is like, Chad, you must accept Jesus Christ, I'd be like, all right, dog, I've done that. What's up? 
He'd be like, no, no, you got to understand. You got to you gotta be blessed in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I got you. You have to eat the blood of Christ every Sunday. What's up, bro? You know, like, but this guy, oh, yeah. this guy That'll keeps showing up. That'll be the cold open. This guy keeps showing up, and he's just like, you're, you're silly, old man. What's going on? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, every time a priest shows up in a movie, I'm just like, listen. Just listen. Give him five minutes. He's a man of the cloth. You know, it's not like he's, he, he showed up in a straight jacket. Like, hey, listen to me. Like, eat sparrows. They're good. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and this, is a, and this is a running theme with you, Matt Chan. I mean, because you say to listen to the crazy old guy. At least one. Give him credit. Give him yeah, credit. Yeah, he's, there. he's been yeah, around. Right. He's done shit. Right. You haven't. <laughs> and I, I, I like appreciate Like eat glue. I appreciate your respect for these people, Matt Chan. You respect your elders. <laughs> and that's a good old American way. Right on. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so not only do you get the hanging in that sequence, but you also get the appearance of the Rottweiler. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Something which, yeah, I mean, the idea of the Hellhound. Yeah. And now, like, initially, I never got that because I didn't know the stories. I didn't understand. Right. But upon the second viewing, I was like, oh, it's the Hellhound. Right. Because you watch Supernatural. Well, <laughs> Red Man. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. No, man. it's not because of Supernatural. It's because of Robert Robert Johnson. Robert. <laughs> no, but if you want to, if you want to connect it to something in pop culture, it was the Lost Boys. All right. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> there that's you right. go. It was Edward Herman and his dog. Really want to see both of you get mad with these hats on. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, listeners, Mad Chan and I are making our famous uh, apple pie moonshine, and we're wearing our moonshine hats. The professor does not approve. Oh, I approve if you know if it makes you happy. <laughs> if it makes you happy, seem a little ominous. But it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. Um, you know the thing that got me? There's no way in hell I would have let Mrs. Baylock stay in the house. Creepy old woman shows up out of nowhere and is just like, the "I'm here to help." The agency sent me. The agency sent me. What agency? They they get smart yeah, eventually. Yeah, they yeah. run down the hallway like, "What agency?" And she's like, "Oh look, here's my references." Where's the kid? Shut up! I'm right. here to I'm here to do you a favor. All right. Or when they, they we read about church. it in the paper. All right. They go to take him to church, and she's like, "He don't want to go to church. <laughs> he, he ain't trying to go to no church. Him, him don't want to go to church. <laughs> him don't want to be a <laughs> him. Him don't want to go to church, dude. What about how horrible they are? Like Gregory Peck or the Thorns? We'll call them by their name. The Thorns are horrible parents. Well, every scene, they're losing this kid. This kid is always running off always. by himself. She always. goes to the zoo. The kid runs off. The kid runs off. They think he drowned. Like, they're horrible parents. They didn't deserve a kid, man. Like, oh, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, and what about the zoo, man? That that's the nice. reason we keep our animals in cages. Like, that, that scene, I'm sorry, that scene was kind of terrifying. That's why all the zoos at your local parks closed. <laughs> Growing up in Richmond, Indiana, we had a little zoo at Glen Miller Park. That's why it closed, because movies like The Omen. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that's that was scary. I, w- I, w- I was genuinely afraid. And you could tell that Lee Remick was afraid in that scene, man. Well, I want to I point out something here, too, that I, I like that you brought up about the old man doing the warning, the priest doing the warning. Um, I like when he comes to his office, and I like that they snatch him away before he can finish. He's yeah. saying, his mother was... And they yank him out. Okay, yeah, so we yeah. never find out. And see, and we'll that. get back to that later because we see it, and I never understand. I never understood it. I didn't understand the stories, so it wasn't until later movies that I was like, "Oh, that's what's going on." So, but we can talk. We'll talk about that when we come there about the mother and what she was. Yeah, because that terrified me after I found out. I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it." Yeah, like I get it now. I didn't get it before. Like I got it now. I thought maybe that the. I fucking worry there. What if, <laughs> what if he was like she was a, she was born into a jackal? His mother was raped by a thousand maniacs. 
And he was Freddy Krueger. <laughs> no, but his mother was... His mo- but Damien was, my nightmare. But here's the thing. So Damien was born unto a jackal. And the priest sees it. He comes in. He's like, I saw the baby being born. Why was a fucking jackal in the ER giving birth? <laughs> That's verbatim. What kind of... What kind of HMO did this fucking jackal have that allowed it fucking care at the hospital? The jackal walked in, was like, wah, 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 wah. they were like, it's that. What? This jackal's having the Antichrist. Put it on the table. Get that baby out of there. What the hell's going on here? Professor, How did that happen? Can you reel this in for us? Um, I, I don't know where we are at this moment. Other than David Warner's hair is delicious. <laughs> delicious. Um, are, are we just continuing with the storyline or we're random observation? Yeah, we're just talking about the first movie. Um, Go ahead. This dates back for me. You all right? Okay. I'm trying um, to get my life together. I, I, maybe we should have a moment of silence to <laughs> for the jackal that gave No, there was the two scenes, and we can talk more about them, um, but the bicycle scene where we knock mom off. Yes, yes. And the spear scene. Both of those I saw in a documentary before I saw the movie. Oh, yeah? As a kid. I'd, I There was this horror documentary I watched that would go kind of chronologically up. And that was always one of the most recent. Because whenever it was made, that wasn't that old. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. it would fascinate me. Especially the spear scene. And... What I think is interesting is the creativity that went into both of those. Oh, yeah. That makes me wonder what if if uh, Donner had really stuck more with some horror movies and, and how amazing that would have been. Right. Because, like, I, did you guys look up anything on the special effects for that, like how they did some of it? Um, not, on the, I, not on the original, on the remake I did. I thought it was cool with, when she gets knocked off by the bike, she's on a crane standing up. Right. And they've got a wall that they've made where they've taped the fish to it and, and done all that. Oh, and what they no. did is they spin, the, spin her on it as she's going towards it because she refused to do the stunt. Right. And they said, well, what if we flip it so you're not actually being suspended in air? So when you're watching that, that's her just being basically zoomed towards the wall. And ladies and gentlemen, don't worry. No fish were harmed in the making of this movie. They yeah, were actually he sardines. Refused to. Yeah. Right, Richard Donner refused let, to use goldfish. Yeah, they painted him and made him. He used one for one shot and immediately got in the back in the water. Because yep. he was just like, there's no need for that. Yep. And then with the spear, that's it's coming out both sides at the same time. Mm-hmm. They're pulling up, pulling out behind him and going down. But, it, I mean, you can't tell. No, it it, looks, it's, it's awesome, yeah. And I just, I love that. See, that's the thing. Like, the effects in this movie, like, everything... Was just right on point, and I, like even the um, what's his name Warner's beheading, uh, folks. And you know there's spoilers on this show. I'm not, but I mean it's, it's it was made in '76, whatever. But when War, like Warner's beheading, dude, that's awesome because you stay in the moment. It doesn't cut, and that's the one thing I love about Richard Donner mm-hmm. is he doesn't he doesn't need to cut. He doesn't use fancy tricks. I mean, yeah. well, I mean he uses fancy tricks, but I mean he's not about to to do a pull away or a cutaway. He stays in that moment, and you get to feel it. You're like, oh shit! Like the pane of glass comes through, cuts the head off, and then you're stuck there going, whoa! Like how did they like? That's amazing how they do. Well, we know how they do it now, but back then, '76, that was an awesome effect, man. Well, yeah, and especially to think too of what audiences are used to seeing it to that point. I mean, right. yeah, we've had Jaws, we had Jaws recently, but this is still relatively new. But we only had Jaws have. for a year, though. I mean, right. Jaws but was we're not in new. the we're not in the age of slashers yet. No, no, where we're used to watching, you know, people just be ripped. 
apart nonstop for an hour and 20 minutes. So to have this gloomy, serious, big-budget movie, and then a head, you know, rolling off glass, yeah. I bet that was a big deal back yeah, then. Yeah, man. Bro, the, um, the one thing I loved about the original Omen was the, this, if you understand what I'm saying, like the, the scope of everything. Like after they have the secret, the secret meeting, not, not secret, but after the priest meets with Mister Thorne and he's walking across, and the wind picks up and the lightning starts striking, strikes the trees. He's out in the middle of this wide open field, like he's literally running for his life. He eventually makes it, and that's when we get the spike scene, or, you know, the lightning striking scene. But it's amazing how, like, he shoots in wide shots to show you the scope of what's going on. The wind is not just right around him. It's not a little wind machine off, off camera right there. Like, it's, it's huge scenes to show you in the moment what's going on. It's tons of rain, tons of wind, lightning striking right behind him as he hops over the fence. I mean, they did that amazing. Like, the first Omen has a lot of really good things in it. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, one thing that we talked about earlier was, uh, okay, so I put, I'm just going off my notes here. Um, when Damien shoots his mother that I'll get you bitch look on his way out the room, like every once in a while, Harvey Stevens as a child had that look on his face that was just like, wow, like this kid was kind of terrifying. And that's, I put that because that's what it said. But when the priest says that the child was evil and your wife thinks the child is evil, Something's got to give, like you know, like as we were talking about that guy earlier, the man, like like his wife is sitting here going, his wife told the therapist, "This isn't my kid. Something's wrong. What the hell's going on? Like yeah. this isn't my kid. This kid's trying to kill me. Yeah, this is something isn't right here." Um, the cemetery scene. Yeah, in leaving, that's where I want to get to because the, we talked about the jackal thing. We kind of joked about it, but I didn't know what was going on. So when Warner opened up or not warner uh yeah warner was one of them but well, when they opened up that that tomb that was the mother uh-huh and we saw that body in there of the, of the jackal now i understand but like at the time i was like what is this what's what's going on well and i want to say leading up to that scene oh go ahead um you know when when thorn is like um when it's starting to dawn on him, he's like, was it intentional? Did they murder my son in order to give me yeah, this yeah. child? I mean, that was that was an intense twist. That was. And then when you see like the baby skull for 1976, that was intense. Yeah. The, the, the caved-in baby skeleton, like, laying in this open, or laying in this tomb. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. Like, even in set, like, now that kind of got me. It was like, man, and that's what he thought. Yeah. And then the Hellhounds attack, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Like, all those Rottweilers just killing. Just, I thought that was a great Ooh, scene. Ooh, kill him. Ooh, Ooh kill, kill him. him. And I still, <laughs> I still think, uh, it, it, it kind of surprises me at how successful it was for how dark and gloomy it is. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, this is a, uh, it's a pretty brutal movie at times. It, and, oh, and it kind of lingered with you, which, you know, it just kind of surprises me that it is something where, you know, how word of mouth would be getting more people in there. Like, people were like, man, I feel like shit. I had a good time, though. Go watch it. <laughs> Love it. Keep lining up. Yeah. Man, like, uh, what do you think of, what do you guys think of Mrs. Baylock? Like, uh, that's the that's the most notes I've taken about this movie. She is fucking vicious. Like, everything exactly. about her. Yep. And in the remake, well, we'll get to that later. But Mrs. Baylock in this movie... Like, when she goes in and throws the wife out the window, like, she don't fuck around. Like, she goes in that hotel, or in that hospital room 
and it's it's over. Like that was bad. She always has that look on her face because she comes in, and you all you already see there's something under the surface. Yeah. But as that movie goes on, and when we get to the end, after um he goes in and he cuts the hair off. Oh man, like Mrs. Baylock turns into an animal. Like she's literally spider monkeyed on his back. Oh yeah. Like on him, dude. Intense. Like that was intense. <laughs> spider yeah. monkey. She's spider oh, monkey. Like a him. spider monkey on you. Spider monkey. Yeah. Oh, popped up. Um, <laughs> man, I mean, I don't know if you want to go to the end yet, but oh, dude, we can keep talking though, man. Like, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that kid that goes there. I mean, we're you know we we've been going on for this movie about a while. I mean, oh, because I like this movie, I really do. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I I'm real intense about this one because the daggers were amazing. The um, oh, uh, what was it there at the end where he where he's like, please, daddy, don't. That's what I wanted to get. Oh to. yeah, go ahead, that, go ahead. I mean, that like to me is like, oh, that gets me every time. He's like, daddy, no, no, daddy, no, no, no. Like, and I'm like, oh gosh, I mean, that was. <laughs> I yeah, because that, that that got me because the kid didn't talk sincere. much versus the the right. later movie. Right in the in the, the remake, kid the kid talks all the time. Little, but yeah, Stephen Harvey barely talked, <laughs> and when he did at the end, Daddy knows. Interesting too. Listen yeah. to Gregory Peck and his objection to that and how they filmed it both ways. Oh, I didn't know. What, yeah, what he was because he said he's like you know I I don't want to even mimic killing a kid. This isn't needed for the movie, and the basically they agreed upon we'll film it both ways and whatever works best. That's what we'll end with, and they ended up, you know, with what they did. Right on. See, I, versus the remake, I really like that. Very, very effective. Yeah. So are we are we gonna move on to the sequel? I mean, there was a there's a lot more we could talk about with this movie. I know we got to get through a lot, but that was, I mean, the Omen was really good to me. I really enjoyed the first movie. Yeah. It's not an easy watch, but no, no, it's no, one no, it's I like not. a lot. I want to say that I appreciated it after watching two and three. I, I appreciated I it more, more, yes. yes. You won't hear that often on this podcast. Yeah. I enjoyed the first one more after watching two and three. Right. Usually we go, I love the got first worse. one, but then when I watched two and three, I decided I hated the first one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, because what happened is, I think what, and the reason I could talk so, we could talk as much as we did about one, is because those unanswered questions from one, I didn't even talk about half my list, because as you watch two and three, they do kind of answer things. Yes. They go back through and give you the answers where... It was never intended to go back through and give you those answers, mm -hmm. so it, it, that kind of helped me a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the Omen Two, 1978. Uh, directors were Don Taylor and Mike Hodges, and the writer was Harvey Bernard, and then they list uh, others as well. Playing Richard Thorne, the brother of the original father of Gregory Peck, is William Holden, a, a guy. Boy. Yes, the guy who was actually considered for the original role and turned it down in the first omen took it in this movie uh lee grant played ann thorne his wife damien this time is played by jonathan scott taylor uh we had a sergeant neff who showed up in a young lance henderson i don't know how young he was but it was He's lance young, henderson <laughs> and dr kane man Misha Meshach taylor and i would also like to mention sylvia sydney who dates back to um, Humphrey Bogart movies. Oh, yes, And yes. she's also in Beetlejuice. Yes, and, yes. And uh, Lou Ayers, the gentleman that ends up under the ice. Yes. He goes back to pre-code films, too. So it's like there's something about these Omen movies that, that brought him out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Grizz, what do you... You want to start us off on the Omen 2? I love how the Omen 2 starts with a guy saying, I think I know who the Antichrist is because have you seen the new art exhibit? 
there's this painting of this boy and he looks like that boy. And I'm like, really, this is where you're going to start the film? Oh, okay. One of the most, one of the characters that we didn't even talk about in the first movie was the man that the knives came from in the first place, right? Do you have his character name? No. I forget. It's Mr. Miyagi. (laughs) Let's call it. But anyway. So what had happened was Gregory Peck goes. You see to, what had happened? Well, no, what had happened was Gregory Peck goes to this guy, and where we pick up in part two is he's been there. This guy's done the research. He knows that he's seen the he's seen the drawings on the wall. He knows that Damien is the Antichrist because he's been able to experience somebody else experience it in first person. So now that the Gregory Peck's character is dead. And Damien's been moved to Chicago from London. He has to send somebody over there with these daggers and this letter to get rid of the Antichrist. Well, if you've been to Chicago, you know that that is where the Antichrist will come from. Yes. Clearly. F was from there. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny McCarthy's from there. No, rest my case. Walter Payton. <laughs> oh, I'm John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. Uh so, yeah, so I love that that's where it starts. It's like, oh, have you seen this art, this new art exhibit? And the guy's like, no, I haven't been there yet. He was like, well, this painting, it looks like Damien. So it's clearly, it's easy. Go kill that kid. Yeah, yeah let's, let's kill him. I got seven daggers. We get seven shots at it. So that's what I think about the Omen 2. On to the Omen 3. No, no, no. no. Go back. <laughs> the joking. Omen 2. I'm joking. Um, I've just got little tidbits here. So, uh, Professor, the, you want to? Go ahead, Professor. Um, my initial complaint with this film is the kid is too young. I wish they would have made him a little bit older as a teenager. More like I just feel like he would be more capable and maybe vicious. With that said, the the kid that they do have in there as Damien was cast well. Yes, he's quickly easy to dislike. Yes. Um, so there was that. I and like I mentioned earlier, the production value was so much higher than I expected. I thought this thing would just be a cash grab, you know, like just slap something together as a sequel, but there was some genuine effort here. Um, I mean, are we talking about specific things yet that we like? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The elevator scene. Yes! Oh, that was great. The elevator scene was awesome, man. Because you get this... It is worth watching this movie for that, if nothing else. Oh, do we ruin it, or do we we talk about it? Uh, I... I mean, it's just an elevator dismemberment. But see, that's yeah. a, what the awesome thing about it is. You get the, we're going to rise up into the 27th, 8th, 9th, whatever floor. And then the elevator drops all the way down and he's okay. Mm-hmm. And then you get the cable. Then the, yeah. Because if they'd have just done the elevator death, whatever. Everyday other movie. Right. But no, they did the cable, the cutting in half, which again was amazingly done. Like time was yeah. put into that because he's... Uh, is it Meshach? How, how you from Meshach? Shadrach, Meshach, a bit. It's Meshach Taylor, right? Yeah. But you, the guy from Designing Women, mm. he played Hollywood. All right, Hollywood. All right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, Meshach Taylor. We'll, do, we'll pour one out for you. But anyway, no, because he's sitting there, and when it cuts him in half, you see him in half, and you see him still acting. Everything's through it. Oh man, it was awesome. That yeah. was amazingly like done. These movies are one of the few instances where you have uh, really true suspense and money for build up into a kill, and then still get the shock. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's all there. It's the whole package. I the feel thing, like you don't get that very frequently in horror movies. It's one or the other. See, you uh, you brought up, like, the uh, the elevator. And, like, I think most of the kills in this one, they gave you a really good setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then stop. And it's not what you think it is. Yeah. And then move on. Because um, the Joan, uh, oh, what was her last name? Joan Hart, the character all in red. Oh, Melissa We're, Joan Hart. No. <laughs> hey, she's my favorite, oh, come on, man. Come on, dog. No, but Joan Hart, she she's in the car, and her car blows a tire, and she gets out in the crow. The crow starts pecking at her yes, and pecking at her, exactly. and then pecks yeah. out her eyes. And it, without her, she's like, "Oh, my eyes, my eyes!" And then she's laying off in a ditch, and you you think that this bird is going to get the best of her. The bird stops. He's like, good. "I poked out your eyes. That's all I needed to do." And then she walks out in front of a truck. Gets smoked yeah. by that and semi. It's just the oh, same way. Great like scene. the elevator starts dropping. You think he's dead with the elevator? No. A little bit more. You think she's dead with the bird? No. A little bit more. I, that Very was intelligent awesome. kills. Oh, yeah. Very intelligent kills. And the pecking with the birds was a, uh, an homage to Gregory Peck. So there's that. So I heard the, it was an homage to that movie called The Birds. But see, <laughs> you, that's what you thought I was going to say. That I switched it around. So when Paul game got switched for some ludicrous. So you know, so Paul, the character who's very interested in our food and becoming the sole source of holding food and selling food, who gets voted down, who later becomes into power. Paul's talking to Damien at the thirteenth birthday party, and I got this little more of a vibe that uh, I want to watch you undressed than I do that I'm watching <laughs> over you. That was a very creepy scene. Yeah. Because he's sitting there talking about futures, and at 13, a boy becomes a man. And this is the... ...over him as well. And then later on, we get Lance Henriksen, who is his drill instructor, his uh, whatever you want to call him, his sergeant, who we find out is also watching over him as well. So at this point, I started asking, I was like, is this a cult? Are these? Well, is this a group of? I, go comes, back. Go back to the first movie. Right. What was her name? Mrs. Baylock. Mrs. Baylock. And do you remember when she shows up? She says, "I'm here to watch over you now, little." Right. Master. I'm here to watch over you, and that's yeah. the same thing that happens in the later two exactly. movies. Exactly. And in the third movie, we find out it is a cult. Yeah. But we're not there yet. <laughs> They're getting napkins. Um, you know, my brain's just blown everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to say there's a, a very special part of this movie. Um. And I, I don't want to compare it to the movie Dogma, because Dogma is a comedy, but it does have very deep religious ties, where um, Bethany... And you, you would be the one to point these out. Right, where Bethany, you know, when in Dogma, when Bethany finds out that she's descended from Jesus, and she's got to carry this burden, like, she runs out to the lake, why? Why me? You know, she's doing this or that. I don't want this, yeah. Right. It's very much a ripoff of Omen 2. When Damien finds out he is who he is, and he goes down to that dock, Right, and he's saying, "Why me? Why I don't me? want this. I don't yeah. want this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I, I think it's a very big turning point in the trilogy um, right. of Damien realizing who he is. See, Damien takes that. He goes from "Why, why me?" to that scene with his cousin in the woods, where he's just like, "I am. Yeah, I am the disciple of Satan. I am the son of. I am son of the unholy one. Join me, cousin. Join me now." And yeah. the cousin's like, "No, don't touch me." This is wrong, you know, but I mean, he really pulls a 180 really quickly. Exactly. He goes from, why is it me, cutting off his own hair, finding out the truth about himself, 
why is it me to, no, 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 I'm the son of Lucifer, let's make shit happen. Yeah. Like, very quickly. And so that was, that was one of the things in this movie that was, it was very quick, you had to come to terms with it very quickly. Like when old boy uh, drowns under the ice, because see there were things that happened in this movie that which was great, which was well shot. Oh, oh, awesomely shot, shot. awesomely shot. Yeah, but there's things that happened in this movie and and in the next or in the first two movies that make you go why. Like Damien takes care of uh, Doctor. Oh, what's the doctor's name? Doctor Kane. When Doctor Kane goes, uh, you know, he has jackal blood. He figures out he has jackal blood. Doctor Damien takes care of Doctor Kane fairly quickly. But later on, he's not so quick to he's not so quick to kill everybody else who's found out about him. Mm-hmm. And then in swift strokes, he takes care of those people, like his uncle and his aunt, who also is a member of this cult that we find out. Right. It's amazing. Like these movies, they got really in depth, man. They really did. And and like I said, that's what I I came to appreciate about the story as a whole that I didn't appreciate the first time that I just watched the first movie years ago. Because I was just like, okay, boring, you know. But now, like, it weaves this deeper story. I'm not going to say it's not slow, because it is. Yeah. But I appreciate it. But I think we might all enjoy it the next go-around, now that we know there's a richer... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Something deeper. Um, One other thing I just want to point out, a random random, uh, trivia bit here. Um, At the Academy... Uh, there's this statue behind them that is an uh, an Indian on a horse with his arms outstretched, and that statue is called Appeal to the Great Spirit, and it actually has a full size statue right here where your asses sit in Muncie, Indiana. Really? Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the Appeal to the Great Spirit statue. And I I had done research about the statue before, and it's not original to Muncie. But yeah, I was like, that's the statue, and it is. That statue in the Omen 2 at the Military Academy is a smaller scale statue of what's right here. You know what? We might see if we can get um, Grizzly Abner to go out there and take a photo of the statue to accompany this podcast. For sure. Because I think that'd that be something be real neat. Yeah. Um, did you notice the uh, Did you notice the cross on the desk? I don't think so. Ah, when, he, when Damien goes in to talk to Lance Hendrickson, there's a cross on the desk that has been inverted. I don't. Ah, I missed that. Well, it's just I didn't notice. I didn't notice it either. I literally, when I was reading the tidbits, mm-hmm. I found it and then went back through and watched it. Yeah, like I didn't notice it either. But there are little things that stack up throughout this movie. Like Lance Henriksen is one of these people. Um, man, it's there's so much because the first movie ends on a downer. Mm-hmm. The dad gets shot. Yep. Damien moves on. The second movie ends on a downer. The uncle and the aunt, who we find out the aunt is a part of this cult, they both die in the fire that Damien causes, and he moves on. Moves on. It's just like it's it's nothing. Movie goers are like, hey, oh, remember that movie left us really dreadful. After we watched it? Let's go see the sequel. Let's go see the sequel. <laughs> man, that's twice now, man. Let's go the, see the, the, the next one's got to be the ish, right? <laughs> you want to move on to the third? Yeah, let's yes. do it. All right. Oh man, now the third movie in the series. <laughs> my my favorite the installment. See, I I knew it was gonna be your third. I knew I, I mean I knew it was gonna be your favorite, which was the third. Sorry, but and there was a reason for that. Obama. Obama. That's the one. Now I hate the third movie and love it at the same time. Fair enough. Um, we're looking at the Omen three, the final conflict. 
1981. But I'm going to tell you, folks, it was actually filmed in 1979. It just didn't get released right away. Director Graham Baker, writer David Seltzer comes back, and Andrew Birkin. So the guy who wrote the original one comes back. And I'm going to clue you in on this. Dick Donner actually produced this movie. Really? It was an EP on this movie. So... The movie opens up in the opening credit sequence with the seven daggers of Megadil. Megadil? Megadil? Megiddo. Megiddo. Thank you. Thank you. But I, I wrote it down. I just really didn't yeah. catch it because they speak with an Italian accent. I wasn't yeah. sure how to pronounce Megiddo. it. Megiddo. Yeah, but we open, open up with the seven daggers of Megiddo that have been rescued from the fire in Chicago and repurposed and sold at an auction house. Let's just repurposed. Let's just say that they racistly had a black mine worker discover them and sell them to a pawn shop. Yeah. It was a little racist, in my yeah. opinion, the way they made the movie. And, and this is your favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, I found these daggers. going to sell them now. Yeah. Where'd the voice come from? <laughs> it was... What the... Take the hat off, man. <laughs> Get back into the I just got to say, I was like, really? Did you have to have a black guy find them who was working and sell them to a pawn shop? And then they were bought from the pawn shop and sold in this auction, as you said. Go ahead. Right, right. And the guy who buys them takes them. He, he discovers the root of them. He finds out what they're for. And he gives them to the seven... Or what he gives them to the monastery? Of, Some solid bros. Right, right. He, guys who are going to use them to bring down the Antichrist. That's right. And that's one thing like we haven't really said a lot of since we've been talking about this. Damien is the Antichrist. Let's six, put that out there. Damien is six 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 six. is the Damien is the Antichrist. Right. All right. So that's there. Six six six. But the th- but the thing that got me about this movie, and I hate to be that guy, is it's the timeline. And I'm gonna I'm gonna share it with you. Damien says that he's been the head of Thorn Industries for seven years. When we left him in nineteen. 19- 78, he was 13. Three years later, in 1981, which the movie actually says it's 1982, because at one point, Damien references running for the Senate in two years in 84. Mm -hmm. So the movie's 1982. He was 13 the last time we left him, three, four years prior. Now, he's 32 years old. That kind of get me. He says he took over... Compared to a young Jack Kennedy. But he said that he was a twenty. He said he took it over seven years ago. He was twenty-five then. He's thirty-two now. It's only been three years since the last movie. It was actually filmed in seventy-nine. It was said it was eighty-two. I mean, there's a lot going on in the story where the dates don't add up. Like, and it's almost like because he didn't write the second one. Uh, what? Because he didn't write the second one, Seltzer was like, uh, uh, uh. And he did what made sense because yeah. they wanted to make it. They wanted to take the place, and I see why. You take Damien from a five, six-year-old kid to a thirteen-year-old kid becoming a man to a thirty-two-year-old kid running a business, you know, running this corporation. You mm-hmm. have to allow that time. Right. But that's one thing that shows you, like Seltzer said, it was never meant to be a trilogy. It just happened, so they rolled with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of forgot to give the the character lineup because yeah. I, I wanted to dive into it. You have Damien played by Sam Neill. A.K.A. Dr. Alan Grant. <laughs> Jurassic Park. DiCarlo played by, by Rosano Bra- Brazzi. Uh, Harvey Dean played by Don Gordon. 
And Kate Reynolds, played by Lisa Haro. Rosano Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. Oh, that's it. Uh, what about when he rigged the gun up saw style, man? Yeah, that was a really well done. It was brutal. well shot. Yeah, no pun intended. It, yeah. <laughs> Even the very the very last like icing on the cake of it with the shot of actually him um, and his head kind of moving back with the blood spot under his nose. Oh, the, like the hole in the head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, that that was, was intense. Brutal. Yeah, that was really well done. And I mean, I, I mean, uh, from the sickest sense of <laughs> yeah, really well done. Um, um, what about Damien using his powers to gain influence in the United States Senate? Well, that's what I want to say here. Uh, Dr. Alan Grant, I mean, Damien, I mean, Sam Neill, <laughs> um, just owned this role. He did. Just owned it. it he did. so bro. well acted. And, uh, and he's, he's the best. He's the head of, <laughs> he's the head, he's the head of Thorn, which I'm thinking is the modern day equivalent of Monsanto. You know what I mean? Honestly, I'm not trying to joke here, but like it's you know they're providing food for the world, but at what cost? You know, and it's very much a Monsanto story. Well, he keeps talking about how they control the famine Mm -hmm. in the world, right? And that's one thing that kind of yeah, that's the thing that kind of starts putting me on 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 uneasy street, right? Was yeah, that's a place, right? Like that's a it. place, uh, Professor. That's good. Uneasy Street. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to coin it right now. Brother, you do <laughs> On the place it. where uneasy streets have no name. <laughs> Go ahead. But no, that, that, I, I agree with you, man. Like, yeah, like there's there's so many parallels that you can draw from now. We, yeah, we've created the GMOs who right. control who gets food and who doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I just love how well Sam Neill owned this character and made it his own. And, I mean, I'm just going to say he's a handsome devil. Right. He's a handsome devil. He made it happen. Now, what about the opening scene in the in the Vatican? Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. The opening scene in the Vatican really, really got to me. Yeah. Like, like it, it didn't get to me like, oh, my God, it's true, it's coming. But th- the way they showed things that were happening. Right. You were like, oh, my goodness. Like, there, there are direct parallels. Which they rehashed. Right, the right, remake. right. Right, right, right. And that's what got me. Well, and it's this interesting thing that... You know what, I um, think I'm thinking of the remake more, but those scenes were... I mean, those scenes hit me here, but they hit me more in the remake. Right. I they, get what they you're were, saying. They were, much, they were much more well done. Right, right, right. Okay. But I think what fascinates me more is that... I didn't mean the... Yeah. In order the to... The seven. The seven. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure, because I was thinking of both movies. Go ahead. Well, in order to, to really frame this a little bit for sorry. you, storyline-wise, um, you know, in, in the, the church world, you do have these... Um, you have these people that are just obsessed with end times. They're just obsessed with it. And they're just always trying to predict when Jesus is going to come back, when this 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 Antichrist is coming, when the rapture is going to occur, which are all these different theological differences of, of whether you think there is a rapture, whether you think this or that, whether you think there is an Antichrist or just whatever. But like, So you have these people in the church that are obsessed with that. But then you have people outside the church who think that the whole church is just obsessed with that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So there's two different dynamics here. And so it's very interesting that they use this from a Catholic point of view because, like, the Catholic Church is not, like, people who just sit around, like, trying to predict the end times. But yet... They are? Well, (laughs) but the thing is, they're very scientific. Right, right, I mean, a lot of our scientific advancements came from uh, priests who were astrologists and things like that. Um, 
they're not astronomers, not astrologers. They weren't reading horoscopes. Um, <laughs> so you get this neat part in the third film about the stars. Right, right, right. The stars that's that were coming together. Yeah, right. absolutely. So um, that's that's where we get this thing. These stars are coming together. They're going to form this thing, and then this this Christ child is supposed to be born. Oh man, that's that killed me. Right, and so you get you got uh, you got Damien. Dr. Alan Grant, who is convinced that this, this Christ child is going to be born, who's going to be the downfall of him. And, and Damien is well-versed in Scripture. He knows Scripture like the back of his which, hand. Oh, which he's so amazing when he busts out that Bible. Yes, and he pulls out, and he's talking about Apocrypha, which is not canonized text. So that's right. not coming from your traditional Bible that your mom has on her bookshelf. These are texts that are extra-canonical. So... They're acceptable, but they're not in your typical Bible. So, right, you're not. I mean, you're not going to get your your King James and exactly and read this. right. So he's he's quoting these things, and he knows scripture like the back of his hand, which is going to come up at the end of the story. Um, but he, yeah, so he knows these things very well, and so he's on the lookout for the return of Christ, which I love that he calls him. The Nazarene. The Nazarene. The dude. Nazarene. The whole he, thing. He doesn't don't have the respect. Nazarene, That's dude. right. He doesn't have the respect to call him Christ, which means anointed one. He doesn't have the respect to call him that. He calls him you Nazarene. I'm waiting on you. You know, I'm dude. Gonna... At one point, he's looking at his assistant, and he's just like, he's like, do you really want to be in the butt? Of, do you really want to be in the butt of Christ? You do you want to live that way in his holy or in his holiness? And I'm just like, damn. Like Sam Neil, I'm sorry, he killed that. Killed role, it, man. Killed it, and that and that that crucifix that he has in his place. Oh yeah, is Christ backwards on the cross, dude? Which I, is like this dominance, like he can come up behind this naked Christ. It kind of rapey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and it, I mean, it's just, I mean, and Sam Neil just delivers, dude. When he walks up and he has the. The whole praying thing. He walks into this room and immediately starts spitting this religious, you know, like my father. This is who I oh, am. Yeah. And he comes in and then he he says he just takes it there and then puts his hands around the thorny crown and says, "I want to push. I want to push these thorns into your head." Oh. And he's bleeding, and the blood his blood drips down on Jesus's face. And at that moment, I'm literally like, "Damn, you have me." Like and it, I know it was later on, but I, they had me already. But that had me. This film sold me on the whole trilogy. This because of Sam. But <laughs> no, Sam Neil did it. I expected more out of the set. I no 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 no. <laughs> they did they, go they, out they hyped the they hyped <laughs> the seven up too much, and I was expecting this great Julius Caesar esque. I didn't expect yeah, the yeah, ending yeah. to go where it did. Right. I was expecting this you were, great... You were looking for the Expendables. I was looking for this Julius Caesar-esque, <laughs> like, et tu brute, where the seven of them, they they tricked the devil. They tricked the devil into false security, and they take him down, and then we lose, like, two or three of them, like, almost off the bat. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, we start losing them one by one, Which... and then they keep setting up traps, like, clever... Cam Encyclopedia Brown, Cam Jansen as traps <laughs> yes. for the devil and he, or for Damien, the Antichrist. He keeps getting out of them and, and thwarting their attempts. And I'm just sitting here going, man, like you, I expected so much more of you. And that was the point where I started, at that point, I started losing interest because Damien's big stuff had already happened. Now it was the seven time to deliver and they weren't delivering. Yeah. 
Well, and there was that great hunting scene. That right. was a good the setup. The fox scene, yes. They yes, tried. Yes. Give them credit. They tried. <laughs> they tried. But he was just too good. Just too good. Professor, we haven't heard from you much. Yeah, I'm either. sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, No, professor. no, it's fine. Um, it, I think the scope of this one is a little too big for me. Um, I respect it. But, did he say Christ? No. <laughs> um... No, it's it, it's it, the scale of it is a little too large for me. I like where the first one starts and right. where that rests. Um, it gets a little too epic for me and feels disjointed at times. Okay. Um, it's a good movie. Oh I, yeah, and I think that I, I wouldn't be opposed to watching the first three marathon style in the future sometime. Okay, like I w- I think they're worth revisiting. Um, but the third one, I had a little trouble sticking with. I don't know if that was just because I was tired okay what, but it, it got it got big i did I the mean, same yeah i liked um damien in this one at, at that age and the the <laughs> fuck <Sorry>. um, <laughs> no i got you go ahead <clears throat> no but i i liked him being older i thought that was a good age for that and much more interesting um i liked the opposition with the the group yeah um you know, I thought all that stuff was interesting, but what about the disciples of huge. the watch? Now that made that made a lot of things make sense for me. Mrs. Baylock, where um, Lance Hendrickson and everybody came from from the second, and Paul came from from the mm-hmm. second movie. Like, what what do you think about the disciples of the watch? Because at one point, guys, da- Sam Neil Damien comes into a room, hops out of a helicopter, walks into a room filled with thousands of people. Yeah, and he's like, if you truly follow my father and you believe i me to be the antichrist this is what you do like how did that hit for you did you did you explain things more or was it just something in there i don't know i guess for me if there was more mystery to the first one i would need more answers okay i think it's neat how they, they did their storytelling but i think standalone the first one would have been fine without a deeper story to it but i mean that's not a knock against Two or three. Um, I thought it was interesting. Okay. Grizz, now, uh, the thing that started getting me was when Harvey started calling everybody and having the children kill. Killing babies for killing babies' sake, to me, I understand what they were doing, what Sam was doing, because the G- Christ was reborn. He needed to get rid of the baby that would be the second coming of Christ. So anybody that was born on this day, March 24th, between this time and this time, he had to get rid of. Let's test your Bible trivia. Don't know. Go ahead. Where do you know about the killing of children? What do I know about the killing of children? Biblically. Uh, it, it's bad, right? <laughs> yeah. The firstborn yeah. of Egypt? Ah, okay. That's... But before that, so that's one of the plagues. Right, right, right. The right, firstborn right. of Egypt. But before that, in that same story, we're talking about the Exodus story with Moses. Moses. Right. Born of the Israelites, who were slaves of the Egyptians, a decree went out by the Pharaoh to kill these Israelite children because these Israelites were becoming too numerous for the Egyptians to handle and keep as slaves. So this decree went out to kill these Israelite children. It was happening, but somehow Moses slipped through the cracks. And the midwives put Moses in a little reed basket, much like Kenny Powers did with Toby in season three, (laughs) and put him down a river. Okay. 
And Moses is discovered and raised as an Egyptian prince. Okay? Right. Hence the, that cartoon movie, The Prince of Egypt. Right. Um, so you have this theme of the killing of babies in the Old Testament. Okay. Of Moses. Later, we go into the New Testament, and there's a decree that all children should be killed because uh, one will be raised up to challenge King Herod. And a couple flees to Egypt. That's Mary and Joseph. Ah. Born in Egypt as a little man. No, actually, he's born in Bethlehem. They flee to Egypt after Jesus is born. Right. So after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt from Bethlehem. See, there's a lot more to these movies under the surface. Absolutely. It's, and the third one draws those out much better. Much better. The, the first two movies touch on biblical themes, but the third movie really wraps you up in those biblical themes. So you have the killing of, of infants in this movie, which is very representative of Moses' story and Jesus' story, which just coincidentally be the foundational story for the Old Testament and the New Testament. Man, we just got deep. Heard that. You know what? I need to move into something a little more lighthearted. <laughs> what about that scene where Damien was having sex with the lady? And she was like, don't stop, Damien, don't stop. And he turns into an asshole. <laughs> he like flips her over and he goes broke back mountain on her without the spit in the hand. What a jerk. Like he, what a jerk. He literally flips her over and he was like, oh yeah, no spit, no lube. He's just like, how do you like that? No courtesy, man. He just, he becomes an asshole. And then the next morning he's lying awake, he's lying naked in another room. Yeah. That's an asshole. Yeah. What a, what a jerk. What a jerk. <laughs> How are you going to leave the door open that leads to your secret place of worship? Like, I worship the devil up here, but I'm going to leave the door open so this bitch can walk <laughs> in. Don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about you, it. Like, that's, that's like you leaving the door open to the church. Like, you know, like, hey, yeah. God, everybody just come on in. Just come on in. So let's let's draw this to a close. Let's talk about the end of this film. Um, stabbing the son in the back. That was some cowardly bullshit. The little kid who had followed Damien. Yeah. Her son. Um, yeah. Like uh, Damien sees that the sees that the priest is coming at him with one of the daggers and holds the kid up and the kid gets stabbed in the back. I thought that was some bullshit. Yep. Like, but that's the kind of guy he is. No, he's he's the antichrist. Right. No, I get it, but I'm just like I was like, man, like, the, like we I, talked I, about I how he just get... did the kid's mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why you no surprised? Vaseline and just, right. Yeah, yeah, you go let this kid get stabbed. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, and then. Oh, man, go ahead, go ahead, man. So, he thinks that he has wandered into where this Christ child is. Yes. And he meets his doom by being stabbed by the kid's mother. Yes, yes. An unlikely assassin takes one of these daggers from Megiddo and kills him. Yes. And he wanders up to this altar. Yes. And he says, Nazareth. What's he say? This doesn't change anything. You haven't won anything. That's right. You haven't won anything. My favorite part about this is then we get this image of Christ as an adult. <laughs> as the book of Revelation very clearly paints him coming back as. And I love that. And this is, this is a, a deep loophole in the movie. Damien knows the Bible inside and out enough so much that he knows the apocryphal texts that he points out. <laughs> However, there's a minor oversight that Christ isn't coming back as a child, and he's killing children <laughs> to make sure that it's not Christ. 
And they even put that in the end there. They put the quote from Revelation. <laughs> I know. Christ will not come back as a child. He will come back as a man. And they put the quotes on the end of every movie, and that was just kind of... Yes. Man. So, <laughs> it's a major blow. hole. Damien is very smart. He's the Antichrist. Well, he owns Monsanto. Like, he's... The, <laughs> this, is, this is a big deal. And then he's like, oh... I must have forgot he wasn't coming back as a child. The thing that got me the most, I think, at the very end is when the mother has the child <clears throat> and Christ picks up the child mm. and walks off and they put that quote on the screen. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. And I, at that point, I really did. I gave the, the slow clap. <laughs> no, because I'd fallen asleep. I'd fallen asleep. Very, very shortly. But, like, when they literally, I said before, when they start killing children for the sake of killing children, like, we need this in this movie. And then you pointed out even an even deeper meaning to me. But watching it at 2 in the morning, it was just like, man, like, I'm over this. Mm-hmm. Because it was just like, kill your, kill your child. What? He was just like, oh, well, so-and-so was ordered to kill their child. And what, do Abraham. you not love my... Abraham was That's ordered right. to kill his son. Do you not love your father, as, love my father as much as Abraham loved his? Yeah. You know, like that right. was... Like when they go into that shit, I was just like... Oh. Time to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I yeah, didn't. Yeah. But you know, I but, I mean, you. it just started getting... Right. It got heavy because heavy the handed. seven weren't doing what they were doing. Yeah. Now, Professor, we're going to move on, but you were the only one who watched Wait. part four. I want to say, wrapping up the trilogy, can you not tell me <laughs> that the original trilogy is a six-hour church recruitment film? <laughs> you can't tell me that it wasn't on par with some of those crazy rapture movies they made in the 70s, that they're like, oh, look, here's the end. Antichrist loses, Jesus wins, except Jesus now. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, if there would have been a, like a G.I. Joe ending, you'd yes. have been okay with that. Very but much. like, go, Joe! Like go, and okay, they show all the, they show all those biblical passages saying right. that the lamb wins in the end. <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah. and I was like, was not expecting this. Was not. This was a six-hour church recruitment. Yeah. Even though at the end of the first film there were passages, and at totally. the end of the second film there were passages. But at the end they were like, boom, Antichrist loses. Suck it, devil. Jesus. <laughs> 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 I was oh. like, I did not see that coming. Really, I did not. From a from a horror trilogy. I thought Damien was going to pull it out. But no, Jesus won. Awesome. You thought Damien was going to pull it out? Yeah, Being a man of the cloth, knowing the scripture, Damien was going to pull it out? It's a horror movie troll. Yeah. You got to root for the underdog? Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, a damn Clint Eastwood movie. There ain't no monkey. That's Sam Neill's a, Neil's a handsome devil. I'm just saying. He had a lot going for Literally him. a handsome devil. That's seriously a handsome devil. All right. Professor. So, professor, you're the only one who watched part four, and I was sorry, folks. Like we said, we hate to say that, but... Professor, uh, we don't need to waste much time on it. Um, it. It was a TV movie made in 1991. Oh, TV. Yeah. Um, uh, was it made by Fox Studio? Okay, yeah, yeah, Fox was kind of rummaging through to see ideas of franchises that had went dormant, and they decided, hey, let's try and do this. So... I don't know if there was already a treatment that had been done that they just kind of dusted off and used. Okay. Uh, but basically, it's it's not a laughable movie, and it's not overtly bad. Um, at this point, it's just kind of tired and regurgitated. Wow. So, like, but now was Damien, like, you said there was a there was a female. Yes, yes. The it, With the main character, it's no longer Damien. We've got a little girl. 
a little girl. So is she playing like Damien's child? Or? I think she is Damien's daughter. To be honest, I don't remember. Oh, right on, right on, right on. I mean, eventually, like folks, I am going to watch this movie. off. But right. it was confusing on how that that was supposed to be explained. Right on. Uh, the little girl was actually a pretty decent little actress. Any standouts um, in this movie? Like uh, stars? No. Um, no? There was a memorable kill with uh, a car and uh, uh, back ripping through the windshield and taking the head off of the driver. Oh, okay. It's not gory, uh, but it still had kind of that trademark of the circumstances of things, kind of like Final Destination where you've got right. things breaking down. And a memorable kill. And like most of the movies, it just had a bummer ending. So it, it, there's really not worth talking much worth talking about in the film unless you are obsessed. No, and if you're wondering what that sound is in the background, that's procedural of uh, making beverages. <laughs> so, no, I, I think the original trilogy, I think the trilogy is what summed it up. Because like I said, going into it, like as they went along... I, I, watching all three movies in one night bummed me out. Like, seriously bummed me out. And I yeah. saved and watched the 2006 Omen remake the next morning. Because I just couldn't... I couldn't even make it to part four. I was that bummed out and tired at that point. It was like 2, 3 in the morning. And I'd already, you know, been me. But we come to the remake. Uh, it takes place in 2006. Director John Moore. Writer David Seltzer. So... My question is, I didn't find much on this. Maybe you can tell me, Professor. Was this truly a rewritten remake? Or was this a use the original script and update what needs to be updated? Because some of those lines, no, most of those lines were verbatim, the original script. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, I'm not going as far as Psycho, Vince Vaughn Psycho here, but some of those lines were yeah, verbatim, the original script. Yeah, they didn't set out to manipulate much. Change right anything. So this time we got Robert Thorne played by Lee Schreiber, Catherine Thorne played by Julia Stiles, Damien played by Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick, Seamus Jennings played by David Thelus. I how did you get Thelus? Thulus. Thulus. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm not that good with certain names. My favorite, Mrs. Baylock played by Mia Farrow. Well done. Rosemary. And then Father Brennan was played by Pete Postlewaite. Excellent actor. Yes, excellent. He's a great character actor. Whatever you put him in, he's amazing, by the way. All so, right. I want to say off the top, love Liam Schreiber. I think he's a great actor in anything. That you think he was great in this movie? I think he's great in anything. But he wasn't he, great in... He wasn't great in... Uh, never mind, go ahead, keep going. Gotten weary. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? Honestly, he's Liam Schreiber in anything that he does. He, he was he was Lee Schreiber in Phantoms. Lee Schreiber, you weren't the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Word, bitch, Phantoms like a motherfucker. <laughs> I, if you'll excuse me, I have not seen Phantoms. I do. Apologize. Oh, really? I know what's coming soon. <laughs> so, uh, Lee Schreiber, great. Uh, um, Julia Stiles, never cared for her as an actress. Um, can I go on record saying right now, Julia Stiles? I don't think can act. Can I go on the record as disagreeing vehemently with both of you? You think Julia Stiles was amazing in this movie? No. Not in this movie, but I think she's a good actress. Really? I think they were both... In what movie? Uh, I don't know. Take Save the, the Last Dance? I don't know. 
one of the Born Identity movies? Oh, I'm getting grilled right now. No, no, seriously. Like, I mean, yeah, no, 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 no. Julia Stiles. My man's no, no, Julia Stiles plays Julia Stiles in every movie. She has the right. same quirks. Like she has the, yeah, she has the same quirks. She has the same, um, the way she raises her voice, the same emotion. She plays the same character in every movie, and that's one thing that I've never really liked about her. And here we are, just a few mirrors. Well, you could say that about a thousand different performers. Right, right, and she's one that's not around anymore. But it's whatever. Uh, you know, I'll come to my man's defense here. Go ahead. Just, just for him, because I don't, I'm don't. i not on board with it. But I'm willing to bet that the professor liked her performance in Dexter. Very good. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll give you, I'll give okay. okay, I'm so sorry. I'll take that back. I've seen that, I've seen that performance in Dexter. I'll give you, she did have some more range in Dexter. Yeah. But normally yeah. in this movie, you could have taken her, picked her up out of this movie and put the same character in Save the Last Dance with and she did, it was the exact same person mad at her daddy like well not the same person mad at her but i mean the same kind of emotion when she got upset she was this person she when she was mad she was this person when she was sad she was this person every character she's ever played before like i like i used to like julia styles the same for everybody though it's just preference like yeah. when you don't like somebody like if you don't like a comedian you say you know, they're always the same thing in every movie. You know what? I'll give but, you that. But then if you turn around and pick your favorite comedians and really think about it, that's what they do. Dude, it's, no, it's, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It's the Steve Carell, Will Ferrell argument. Yeah. There's Will Ferrell people and Steve Carell people. And people who love Will Ferrell are like, Steve Carell plays the same thing in every movie. And you're like, yo, dog, Will Ferrell plays yeah. the same thing in every movie. I would like yeah. to clarify, yeah. though, that I think that really both of them are pretty uninspired in this. Will Ferrell. No, I'm just kidding. Julia Stiles and William Schreiber, I think. (laughs) And the only reason I was saying that is just I feel like they're both underused. They're kind of flat. It looks like they're getting a paycheck. Underused. Underused is a great way to put it. Well, I want to lead in because he just said something. And this is one of my notes, and I I hate to say this about anything. John Moore looks like he phoned this movie in. A lot of this movie looked like it was phoned in. And... As we go through the notes and we talk about this movie, you'll see more of what I'm talking about because I will point it out. But this movie, a lot of it seemed phoned in. And we'll we'll start right there. Now, when I was talking earlier, and I did get my movies confused for, to a point, but the scene in the beginning of the movie where all the bad shit has happened in the world, 9-11, everything that's going on, there's, there's falling out of the sky, people dying. Like, this was made eight years ago. And so much more has happened that's on par. And it just made me sad for a minute. Because I had a genuine feeling of sadness in the opening of this movie. Because I was like, man, I'm not saying it's a biblical sign of the times. But I am saying, damn, like, they point out everything bad that's happened. That happened up until this point, And it's still going on. And I was like, man, like, this is horrible. It made, it made me feel bad. It was, like a C- it was like watching C-SPAN for, like, fucking 12 hours. In like six minutes. It made me feel bad about myself. If I remember correctly, Mad Chan, I literally called you last Saturday and said, Yo, dog, I made a big mistake. Yes. After the Notre Dame game, I watched the news. Yes, you did. I, w- I remember I was out. And, and it you was called the me. worst thing I've done. Yes. Uh, because that's just how the news is. Um, you know, I just want to throw out here. The world sucks. Like, it always has. Like, <laughs> no, we bad, just have more access to bad news Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, yeah, do great things happen? Absolutely. I'm right. sitting here with my best buds on a Sunday night having a great time. Right. But, uh, pardon my language, but it's shit fuck. Yeah. But it always has been. <laughs> it always will be. So, like, 
you know, that's something they point out. It's happened. It's right. been happening. It's going to keep happening. So, yeah. I do want to point out that a lot of the stuff in this movie, the death scenes, even though they were similar things happened in the in the previous movies, this, for some reason, maybe it's because it's more modern technology, more modernly shot, some of the deaths in this movie seemed Final Destination-esque to me. I kind of feel like the whole series did that. Personally. Well, I know, but I mean, this movie more than others, and maybe it's because it's a more modern movie shot in 2005-06. Maybe after we had Final Destination more. with the, yeah. these cameras and the way it was shot. Because, yeah, I agree that a lot of things happened in, in sequences that made you feel that way. But this movie, specifically the car death scene, yeah. was a final, de- in the beginning, early, <laughs> was a was a final destination yeah. moment. Dude. Right, very like, much. And the thing is that, um, so we move on, and we, we the nanny, we know the nanny's going to die in this movie. Versus the first movie to this movie, there wasn't much of a buildup in this movie as the relationship between Damien and the nanny. Whereas in the first movie, you see her hold him several times. Mm-hmm. She's carrying him. She's taking care of him, out playing with him on the balcony when they first move into the house. I mean, there's tons of things that the nanny did with him in the first movie. And the first time we see the nanny in the remake is at the is at the party where she hangs herself. Which, again, was well done. I mean, I'm going to give that up. That, yeah. that was a well done. Really well done. Yeah. And like, the shoe dropping was another... It was a, It was good. I give that death up, but, like, this whole movie, all the relationships, there doesn't seem like he took any time to build relationships and tell stories. It was like, new generation, onto the action, and I just wasn't digging it. Professor, you are an old school movie guy. What is your feeling about it? Unnecessary. I mean, the movie, and it's like we talked about on our remix episode, if you're not going to improve on plot, or technology, money, behind the movie, why make it? Why do it? And to me, this was, you know, just part of that craze of all the remakes that, and I I don't know, I remember seeing this back when it came out and being more impressed with it than then, than in recent years. Do you you think it was because you watched them back to back? Did you watch them all back to back for this episode? Yeah, but I think part of it is just because at the time it was the new thing. We were enjoying all the remakes, and as they paraded them out, some of them were horrible, some of them weren't. And I, for some reason, I don't, I don't know why. I just remember it being better. And the last, the viewing for this uh, episode in preparation for that, and then the time before that, I can, you know, remember with that one also being like, this sucks. Like, seems like everybody in this movie doesn't care, except right, for right. I the minor that. roles with Mia Farrow and uh, Pete Possilwaith. Yeah, possibly. they both are in there. They've yeah. got it going on. Um, but for the most part, it's just kind of, I'm kind of blah about it. Yeah. The decapitation scene was pretty rad. Yes. Um, but other than that, I mean, if, if you've got the original, watch the original. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get much out of this. There's not really much else. Yeah. Grizz, do you want to go through some of your points on this movie? Because I have quite a few that I want to point out that I want your in, you guys' input on. But I kind of want to hear what you have to say first before I get there. I honestly, I don't have any oh okay so i really don't like i you, really i really just did not point out anything in this film do you mind uh, if i run through some of no mine? no i would i would appreciate it okay so i don't like the fact that they were searching for a nanny in this movie i like the fact in the original movie that mrs baylocks just showed up just rolls in 
Um, my first impression of Mia Farrow was she was not as scary as Miss Baylock in the original movie. Because Miss Baylock kind of shows up, she has this face about her, this demeanor about her, and especially that first day when she was like, Mrs. Baylock, is Damien ready to go to the church? And she's just like, he's not going today. Him not going. Him not going today. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, in this yeah. movie, she was just a lot more lighthearted about it. So, I didn't think Mia Farrow, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I like Mia Farrow in this role. Right. But, I mean, I thought the original Mrs. Baylock was way better. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I really no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, oh, like I said, the, it, I'm going by my notes. It looked The director just phoned this movie in. There were a lot of scenes that they were just like, oh, give her a cell phone. Oh, have them do this in the kitchen by themselves. He's playing a video game now instead of running around in a circle. You see what I'm saying? Like It's almost like they took the original script and was like, update this scene, update this scene, yep. update this scene. This yep. can be anywhere. That can be anywhere. Go with it. Yeah. Um, the monkey scene in the first film was way more terrifying. Oh yeah. Oh, like don't get me wrong. When the gorilla hit the glass for the first time, I kind of, I kind of gave it. I was like, oh, okay, that's badass. But then nothing came of it. Like the first scene, they were on the car, they were banging the windows, they were trying to get in. I just didn't get it in the in this one. So, um, the priest scene when he comes in to Mister Thorne's work. In the original, he gets called up. You know, he's outside. They call him into the office. He comes into the office. He's like, you must accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. In this scene, he kind of meets him out in the in the lobby. There's no sense of urgency. Right. Like, he's just very, he's like, hey, bro. very politely. Yeah, he's very politely just like, hey, bro, you need to accept Jesus Christ, dude, because it's <laughs> about to be over, right? You know, so that you wasn't heard. done. Um. One thing I did like, at least somebody in this movie was researching the Bible. That was one thing I had a major issue with. They kept talking about the 666, the sign of the beast, what it meant, the book of Revelations in the original movie, but nobody picked up a damn Bible. In this movie, the Jennings character has a Bible while they're researching this stuff, and he's looking it up and trying to tell Lee Schreiber the whole way, this is what this means, this is what that means. Nobody did that in the original, so I kind of give props to that them in that research in that regard um the father with one eye in this movie actually looked badass mm -hmm. uh in the original you know he does that slow little whatever the father in this he looked kind of badass i kind of i got into that character a little more mia farrow adding the iv adding the air to the iv with the shot i like that a lot better than throwing her out the window yep yeah. I really did. Yeah, that was more believable. But the thing that killed me, that got me, was the kiss of death. Did you guys like the kiss of death? Mm, indifferent. Indifferent. Yeah. That was that scene was, that was improv by Mia Farrow on the day. Really. Nobody knew she was going to do it. She pumps the air in there, and as Julia Stiles was giving her death rattle, Mia Farrow just kind of looks at her and leans in and gives her a kiss, and. When she did that, nobody knew she was going to do it. They were like, "Oh Jesus, that's that's brilliant! Do it again." And that's why that's where we spin around and get the close up. So I thought that was well done. The beheading in the alley was amazing again. Stayed in the moment. It was right there. I I like the way they did that again. It was almost it was Final Destination again, mm -hmm. where the hammer drops and knocks the pin out. Yeah. Um. The kick. Uh. The Mia. The Mia Farrow fight wasn't as, as intense as the Baylock fight yeah. at all. But then Miss Baylock, but she takes the mallet to the car. And I got the Jack Torrance. And I really love that. 
And Professor, I, I mean, I really love that. I know you're a big fan of The Shining. Like when she comes out and she's wielding the big ass croquet mallet and slams it into mm. the, the car. I was like, that's amazing. And then when he hits her with the car, apparently that was in the original movie. And it was shot for the original movie. But Donner thought it was too much. And he pulled it. And that's why they shot the scene that they did in the kitchen. You know, when she comes downstairs and gets him from behind again. They, they, that was the original shot. He hits her with the car, so it made it into that movie. Yeah. Um, I do have a question. What was the scene at the end of the movie with the Pope spilling the wine? Was that the fact that Damien, the Antichrist, has made it to Earth? Or, like, what was that? Because the Pope is laying in bed at the end. He has a glass of wine. His confidant is talking to him. Sir, you know, no. He needs to have some shit. And then the Pope in slow-mo drops his hand over. The wine spills out all over him and all over the bed. Was that because the Antichrist lived on? And they ended there. We see Damien again like the, like the original movie. Hand in hand with the president, turns around, smiles, gives that smile. Not as cool as Stephen Harvey, but he does that. But then the Pope spills the wine. I can only assume. What do you take on that? Because the Antichrist is here and the Pope knows it's bad. Did the Pope die at that point? Was that John Paul II, third? Like, what what was going on in that scene? And I know I've just talked for a long time, but there was a lot in this movie that did not stick out as great as the first movie. Yeah. And it pissed me off. And I'm, I mean, I'm not too overly mad, but I am. Yeah. Because the first movie, having watched these a day apart, had I watched them early on, which I did watch the first one early on, and then watched the remake later, I'd have been like, oh, that was probably, that was, I'd have probably been like, oh, the remake had this and that going on. But I watched the original, watched the remake the next morning, and picked the remake apart. Because it did not have the ferocity. Like, the, the scene where the father, he, t he sits and has the meeting with Mr. Thorne. And then he runs up some steps and tries to get away from the lightning. There's no scope. There's no grand gesture. There's nothing. He gets impaled by a spike, mm -hmm. which was well done. But there wasn't any of the buildup in any scene in this movie. Very few had the buildup that the first movie had. And we didn't care about the characters as much in this movie as we did in the original. Or at least I did. Yeah. What do you think? I'm with you. I'm, I'm with sorry. You. I wasn't I mean, trying to monopolize the conversation. But no, I mean, I'm with I, you. The it remake very... just stuck out to me like uh, almost like a sore thumb as I got to watching it because everything I loved about the first movie kind of went to shit. And honestly, and let me put this, if Mia Farrow was Mrs. Baylock in the first movie... Which not age appropriate, but you see what I'm saying. If Mia Farrow was Mrs. Baylock in the first movie, perfect. Yeah. But there was no sense of urgency. There was nothing there that kind of pulled you in in that remake that made me go, "Damn, she fell off the thing," or you know, she she he hit her with the razor scooter and she bumps over the edge and Julia Robert does her or Julia Roberts Julia Stiles does her own stunt. And falls down on the floor, the, the special floor that they made for her. Awesome. Cool. Like, but none of that was as good as the original movie. Right. Because the original movie, she 
when she falls, she spins. She lands on the stomach. There's reason for internal bleeding. I mean, I don't know, man. I have a a lot of things I didn't like about this movie that I, but a lot of things I did like. Well, it just to me was very uninspired. Very uninspired. I mean, they just they had so many opportunities they could have done more with, and they didn't. And they built so much hype, so much so hype, much because hype. it was coming out on June sixth of two thousand six, and that's six, all it was. Six, six, and that was all. That was their money maker. Yeah, the release date was their money maker. They did nothing else with this. You movie. literally put together a thirty years later, and you didn't do it justice. Yep. And when you read about the people that were supposed to be in this movie, forget you. Mm -hmm. Like, you shouldn't have made this movie at all if that's the way you were going to make it. And, Professor, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to shit on a bunch of stuff, and I know you're sitting over there looking bored. Like, what were your... I mean, do you have any more thoughts about this? I've shared literally everything right I have. Right on, man. Grizz? I'm ready to go watch 10 Things I Hate About You. The best movie that Julia Stiles made. I've got nothing else to say about See, this. Yeah, I'm sorry Seriously. that it took so long, viewers, listeners. I'm sorry. You know what? No, no, don't be sorry because it needed to be said. It needed to be said, and um, we didn't have the heart to say it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I hate to sit here and just pick somebody apart, but I honestly think, and I said it earlier, I think John and I. I'm not saying I could do better. I'm not. I, I'd probably be worse, but I really feel like John Moore phoned this one in. Like, they were like, hey, man, do this and we'll get you on to something else. I don't feel like there was passion in this project. Because passion shows on the screen, and this did not show a passion by the director. Otherwise, he would have directed scenes better. Yep. I'm not saying that Leave Shriver had to live up to Gregory Peck. I'm just saying Leave Shriver and Julia Stiles and Mia Farrow had big shoes to fill. Yeah. Well, and they... Well, and they're all capable of doing that. Right. Well, maybe not Julia Stiles. But <laughs> no, Mia Farrell, no, Mia Farrell did it. That's the thing. Yeah. She just didn't do it with the ferocity because that's not what she was instructed to do. Right. She could have gave it. I'm sure. I, I put it on everything. She could have been that badass character. Oh, yeah. I think we've tried. And as much as you've heard previous episodes where I'm like, ah, Rosemary's Baby wasn't my favorite, as an actress, I know she can do it. Because she, as an actress, is good. Yeah. It's amazing. For sure. Final thoughts? Mm. Series, final thoughts. I think the original trilogy works as a whole. That's my final thought. Agreed. I watched the first one more often than I will any of the sequels or remake. I will probably watch the original three now more often. One, because I bought the big box set but, but <laughs> two, you own it. no two because now i'm interested to go back through and see more things that tie in that they may tie into the first movie in the additional two so i'm 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 excited about that yeah so uh that's all i've got to say on the omen and i think that's all that we have to say as the midwest monsters uh you know decent enough as it stands not a favorite but we we kept the conversation going for quite a while this evening uh what do you think monsters uh, let us know. Chime in on our Facebook page, www.facebook.midwestmonsterspodcast.com slash Midwestmonsters. <laughs> Midwest Monsters Podcast. Or follow us on the Twitters at MidwestMonPod. And there you will be able... 
It's Midwest Mon Pod. And you will be able to talk to Professor Wagstaff one-on-one and find out exactly what he's thinking in that devious brain of his. And he may send you dirty pictures. We're not responsible. If you ask for dirty pictures, it's just a mud. But, But anyway, folks, please follow us. Like us on the Facebooks. Follow us on the Twitters. Let us know what you think, because we want to know what you think. Please about do us the a Omen. favor. Please, 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 if you're on iTunes, give us a review. Give us a review. Uh, it doesn't take no time. I don't think we have an established review yet. We know that lots of you are listening. I see it. I see it. I see you're downloading our episodes. But we don't have the reviews, and we just need those reviews just, just to give us a rubric, a standard, to show us where we stand. Tell us we suck. Just put something on there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, listen, ladies, if you tell us, if you give us a review, ladies, on the Midwest Monsters podcast on the iTunes, I will send you pictures, dirty pictures of the Professor Wax. I promise. Yep. We will <laughs> make that happen. <laughs> so, wrapping up tonight for the Omen series and for the Midwest Monsters podcast, I am, as always, one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by my dudes. Damien! No, Matt Chan. Press wax down. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for sticking with us. And we urge you to stay scared.